Let's uh, look at Mark 11. You know, it's so interesting again, you know, we're, we're teaching basically on the events of Palm Sunday today. And we just did that about a month ago. Um, God's word is living, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It separates even as to divide the soul and the spirit, the joint and the marrow, it judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. So I guarantee today, if we're looking for God, we're going to see him in this passage. And so I'm, I'm excited. So, um, Mark 11. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing, loosing the colt? And they spoke to them as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Father, would you grant us, by the power of your spirit, with your word, which is inspired by you, it is God-breathed. It is ready to penetrate hearts and minds. You're ready to reveal yourself to us, Lord. So whether it be the one teaching or those listening, help us all decrease Get out of the way so that you can speak into our lives as a community and as individuals as you desire. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Albert Einstein once said, and perhaps you would agree, the more we learn, the more we realize we don't know. Albert Einstein's IQ was considerably higher than your pastor's. His IQ was 160. But as I say that to you, and as we quote that, you've heard that before, right? The more we learn, it seems like the less we know. You look at the human body. And as you look at the human body, it is really quite marvelous. You see that the way that the brain works with the heart, works with the lungs, works with the kidneys, works with the liver, works with the uh, the veins and the arteries and the nerves. And 
the joints and all of it working in concert. And we have this amazing thing called the human body. But as you delve into each body part, what you find is that the parts are increasingly complex. And the more you uh, study about it, the more you realize, wow, this is really, really amazing what God has created. One of the greatest examples of this is the human eye. The visible part, you all see it. It's the eyelid. It's the pupil. And you know the pupil. That's the little uh, dark spot in the middle of the eye. Uh, so we have the eyelid, the pupil, the iris, uh, which is the color of the eye, and the sclera. And uh, that's, that's the white stuff. But did you know that there were 40 separate components to the human eye? You have the cornea, the lens, the retina, the nerves. The connections are incredibly complex. And quite honestly, what most people don't know is that there are two million working parts of the human eyeball. And so the more you look at it, the more you realize, oh, I had no idea. And now to see how these uh, these parts all work together, I mean, it's incredibly complex. As a matter of fact, Charles Darwin, yes, we're quoting Charles Darwin in a church service. Charles Darwin said this, the founder of the evolutionary theory wrote, in regards to the difficulties of applying evolution to the eye, he says that the eye could have been formed, to think that the eye could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest possible degree. That was Charles Darwin that said that. Game, set, match, God. Okay? So, so the more we learn, the more we realize that we don't know. When they discovered that, when the eye started looking through a microscope, we realized that there was so much about a cell a plant cell, an animal cell that we never knew before until we looked under and you, you'd look at these cells and there were like little worlds inside these cells. Oh, and then we discovered DNA. And the more we know, the more we realize that we don't know. There was a Chinese astronomer named Shi Shen in the 4th century. He's believed to have cataloged, you ready for this? 809 stars. Stars in 122 constellations. He made the earliest observation sunspots. But you think that he would be amazed years later to find that there are about 10 billion galaxies in the observable universe. The number of stars in a galaxy varies, but assuming an average of 100 billion stars per galaxy means that there are about 1 billion trillion stars in the observable universe. A little bit more than Shi Shen thought that there was. He was off just by a little bit, right? Now, with the discoveries comes more technology. And with the greater technology comes more discoveries. And what we find is this, is that we're going further and further and further. And we're finding out there's so much that we really don't know. And the more that we find, the more that we see that it's more complex, yet at the same time more ordered than we ever imagined. That's an amazing thing when you consider it. Because even science, even your basic science classes as a child taught you that you can't have order coming from disorder. And yet they tell us that we're all here because of this thing called the Big Bang. So it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Because as I was watching the kids playing cards this morning, they have like, the, you know, we've got about 20 decks of cards back here, and they're not gambling, I promise. Watch those in backers, I don't know if they're gambling, but I hope and pray that they're not gambling. They were not gambling, thank you much. All right, and so if you were to walk along the beach and you were to find a deck of cards, and you know, the fresh plastic wraps that they come in, 
All right, and you were to, okay, peel that and open up the deck of cards and you'd see the clubs, the spades, the diamonds, the hearts, and they're all in order when you think, oh, well, you know, that was just a mistake. This is a wonderful mistake. And that's just a deck of cards. That's just a, a deck of cards. And so when we take a look at the order of things, the deeper we go, the more we realize we do not know. And so when people use the phrase, well, here's what we know, it's usually not all that impressive comparatively. You see a politician running a press conference after uh, a tragedy or something like that. The politicians get on and say, here's what we know. And you get ready for what we call an unknow fest. Well, they either don't know or they don't want to tell us what they do know. And a lot of the times they seriously don't know. Or last year when it came to one of the hurricanes that we got hit with, all right, they have these million-dollar machines, Doppler, Viper, and they're, they have all these models that are going to tell us where the hurricane's going to go. Well, it's going to go anywhere from Canada to Cuba. <laughs> and so it's going up this way, or it's going down that way, and they really don't know. They have no idea because it's the weather. A doctor comes to you with a medication, and he says, okay, well, this medication is either going to cure you, uh, but one of the side effects is that you could die uh, right off the bat, and you could die instantly. They really don't know. There's so much that we don't know. As a matter of fact, even when you are playing with social media and on your texting, there's an emoji that says IDK. I don't know. Have you ever seen it? Somebody sends you something and you, it looks like that. I don't know. I don't know. And then we also say we have another phrase that we like to use when we don't know. And we like to say only God knows. Now, how many of you have said that? Sometimes out of frustration, I'm only God but sometimes we say, okay, only God knows, because it's a real humble admission to say, listen, I have no idea. But the fact of the matter is that God really does know. The Bible tells us that he is all-knowing, and that's one of the things that's important about where we're studying today. We're going to take a look uh, in Mark 11, 1 through 11. In one case, we're going to see the disciples are told what to do, because Jesus tells them exactly what to do, so they know what to do. But in another case, we're going to see the crowd celebrating on Palm Sunday, and they think they know what to do, but they really don't know what to do, and we're going to see that there are consequences to both. You see, in both cases, what we're going to see is how what we believe determines what we do. It dictates our actions, but we're also going to see that our actions have consequences in both cases. So let's get to Scripture. It's Mark 11. Uh, Again, let's read verses 1 through 6. Now they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples, and they would send two um, so that they would have witnesses uh, to verify an occurrence and to give validity to an occurrence. And he said to them, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you've entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it, and if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosening the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Stop right there. Go to the village opposite. When you go to the village opposite you, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a colt. And this colt is going to be tied up, and no one has ever sat on this colt. 
Okay, when you do that, we want you to loose it and untie it. Now, the disciples don't say, listen, that's kind of like stealing. Okay, maybe we shouldn't do that, Jesus. They don't question what he tells them to do. He goes on, he says, okay, you loose it, you bring it, and when they question you on it, and they probably will question you on it, this is the answer that you're to give them. Now, let me ask you something. That kind of knowledge, that kind of direction, how many of you wish that we could have this kind of direction? All right? That it would be that clear. That God would say, okay, listen, in the next town over, you're going to find this. You don't know what's happening outside that door right now. You don't. If there's something that's going on in the world right now, you might have a text alert on your phone, but for the most part, you can't see what's happening in the other town. And not only can he see that there's this cult in the other town, but he knows that there's a cult in the other town that has never been sat on. He also knows that when they go to untie it, there's going to be a response from people. Listen, we don't have that kind of knowledge. We're not in the know, and not to this extent that Jesus is. Nevertheless, he tells the disciples, and exactly as they are told, they do. They do what they're told by Jesus. And what we're going to see is they have a God experience because of it. Simply because of this. Something that if we really understood the simplicity of this, if we listened to what he said, we did it, we would experience and that's exactly what happens. But so many of us are acting on our own knowledge. Listen, if you come up to me after service today and I tell you, Okay, go to Publix and go get some fried chicken for Pastor John. When you go to Publix and you get some fried chicken for Pastor John, the lady at the deli is going to tell you that they don't have any. You're going to ask her how long it's going to take. She's going to say 10 minutes. You're going to wait because you would wait 10 minutes to get Pastor John chicken. <laughs> now, you get the chicken from the lady, just as she says, and now as you're driving home, I'm going to tell you there's going to be a speeding trap. You're going to get pulled over because you're going too fast. When they pull you over, here's what I want you to tell the cop. Tell the cop, I have fried chicken for Pastor John. The cop's going to say, I don't care, here's your ticket. Okay, you get the point. I don't have that kind of knowledge. So if I tell you to do something, prayerfully what I'm telling you to do comes from here. Because this is really the only knowledge and the wisdom that we have. Yes, I can tell you based on my experience what might happen out there. But that's not going to be as powerful as when we give you the word of God and we tell you what he says about a certain situation. So God's word gives directive. And we see this, that the disciples, can you imagine if you were the disciples in this situation, and they're kind of sitting there saying, okay, we're feeling a little bit timid about this, but because Jesus told us to do it, we're going to do it. And so here they are, okay, okay we're untying we're untying the cult. Okay, is anybody going to come? Somebody comes to you and they ask, just as Jesus said it was going to play out. Now they're asking, and now I'm saying, okay, we're supposed to say this. And so you say it. And now it goes down exactly the way he said it's going to happen. Again, how many of you would like very, very clear marching orders for your life right now? Wouldn't it be simple if God just said, okay, you know, folks, we're going to simplify things. I'm going to tell you an hour from now what to do, a week from now what I want you to do, a year from now where you're going to be. And we'd say, yes. Yes, I just want some relief. I just want to know that everything is going to be okay. You know, I have no idea, so I need to hear from you. Okay, already God, speak to me. God, talk to me. No. Crickets. 
You ever felt like that? Where you're sitting there saying, okay, God, I want you, I just want you to speak to me regarding the situation. And the problem is this, what we end up doing is we end up saying, okay, what I, we've got a book right here, this is the revelation, so we can know who God is and what he desires of us. We've got this book right here and we're saying, oh God, I want to know what to do, but we're not opening up his word. <coughs> And now you're saying, well, do I open his word, Pastor, to look for my, you know, I'll, I'll write down exactly what my situation is, and now I'm going to start looking for answers. Let me say this. Start looking for a relationship, and you'll find your answers. Start engaging the relationship with him, because that's why he died for you, because he desires that relationship for you. Please understand that I'm not being legalistic when I say, please read your Bible and meditate on the word of God. The word says that. So as we meditate on the law, we'll be like trees planted by rivers of living water, which bring forth fruit in its due season, its leaves shall not weather, and whatever they do shall prosper. That's not being legalistic to say that you should read your Bibles. Because here's the thing, if you get up tomorrow morning and you don't, does it make you a bad Christian? No. Does God love you any less? No. But does he desire to tell you and reveal himself to you? Does he desire you to know who you are to him and what you mean to him? Yes. Yes. And that's what we see uh, when we look at his word, uh, that he desires to show who he is to us. You know, so often, you know, and as a pastor, this is how it works for me. As I'm studying the word of God to present to you all, there are so many commentaries there. I have access to so much of what other people have studied that it's easy for me to phone this in. It's easy for me to just go to the commentaries. What did Spurgeon say about it? What did Chuck Smith say about it? What did Corson, what did Music say about it? What did Swindoll, what does John MacArthur say about it? And I could just go to that and, and believe me, I would have enough material to keep us going for a long, 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 long time if I did that. That's so spiritless. What God desires is this. Okay, let's meet you and I. Forget about the passage that you're presenting this week. Let's just spend some time in the Word, you and I. Open up the Word. Spend some time with me. Celebrate me. Uh, be loved by me. He wants to just spend that father-son time with me. Now what happens is I turn to that passage that I'm going to study, and I say, okay, God... Uh, what do you want to reveal about yourself, or what do you want to reveal to me? What changes do I need to make? And now, and only then, can I look at it and say, okay, now, what do you want me to teach from this passage? Now, what do you want me to teach from it? Because we've had our time together, and that's the thing that was most important to you. It's not important what Pastor John can do for God. God doesn't need me. He just doesn't. He can use me, and he can use you. My guess is he desires to, and many of you he's using in a mighty way already, but a lot of you, uh, there's perhaps a greater capacity in which God wants to use you, and you're kind of hindering it because you're just not doing the main thing, which is just hanging out with him and being loved by him and celebrating him. This is so important. Some of you are saying, I just want to know what you want. I feel so lonely right now, Pastor. I'm struggling, I'm feeling that I'm alone right now, I'm struggling with resentment, I'm struggling with this, and then you can fill in the blanks to the thing that you're struggling with. 
you could Google search Bible verses on resentment. You could go to the topical part of your Bible and say, I'm dealing with anger. Spend time with him. The disciples spent time with Jesus, and because they spent time with him, when he told them to do something, you don't necessarily see the disciples sitting there saying, well, you know what, Jesus, I don't think we should do this. I don't necessarily know that this is such a good idea. As we're studying the book of Exodus on Sunday nights, and again, we continue that tonight with through the Bible series, we just look at the column of Moses at 80 years old. At 80 years old, Moses is called over to a burning bush. Okay? God says, Moses, Moses. All right? And Moses goes to him, and as Moses is going closer to him, God reveals himself. He says, okay, take your shoes off, because we're on holy ground. I desire a relationship, but I'm holy. But here's the thing. A lot of you are waiting for a burning bush experience. You're waiting for something that is like, okay, where the disciples, you know, if they could be, if we could be told like the disciples, I would never doubt again, God. If I could be told that clearly to go and loosen a cult and to go take that cult and everything went down just as you said it would, I would never doubt you again. If I could have a burning bush experience, God, I would never doubt you. Not true. Listen. Back in the book of Mark, if you remember, between chapters Mark, uh, Mark chapters 6 through 8, Jesus fed 15,000, then he fed another 12,000, and then the disciples were on the boat, and they were freaking out because they didn't have bread, and he's saying, why? So here's what he's given, so that we can hear and we can know. He's given his word. He's given his word. It's inspired, it's infallible, it's inerrant, and it is here to equip the man and the woman of God the good works that he has, so that we can not only survive, but we can thrive out there. But not only does he give his word, he gives his Holy Spirit, which is the gift. How many of you have been in a situation where it's like, you know what, I'm going through the struggle, and you remember something that was said in church, you remember something you said in your devotion, that's the Holy Spirit. All right, this morning, as uh, we got a couple of phone calls, and I felt like I was getting pulled this way, this way. I was going to put out the flags. The flag broke. You know, we stuck a pole through the top of the flag. The church van broke down. I'm sitting there saying, all right, slow your roll. Just go in the back and pray. And I just began thinking about his goodness and his greatness and his love. And I was like, all right. And David encouraged himself in the Lord, and so will I. And so will you. Because you want to hear from him, right? You want to know. You want to know. In Daniel 3, I'm going to ask you to turn there just for a moment. And it's a passage that we've referred to probably even recently. Daniel 3. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And something occurred to me as I was studying this this week, and so I wanted to bring it to you again. The king is desiring that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worship the idol that has been created. They refuse. And in verse 8 it says, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the 
sound of the horn, the, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery, and symphony, with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. You know the story, right? We learned it as kids. And it says, There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. And Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you're looking for names for your kids for 2019, these are a few great ones. And they're not being used a lot. Um, it says, so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast, listen, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? At this point, it might be a good thing for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to say, King, do you mind if we pray on this for a moment? Do you mind if before you throw us into the fire, if we would be able to sit down and maybe just like have a couple of minutes to pray about it and consider it in the back? That's not what they do. Their answer is already clear. They heard from God. And that's my point. Because what you're going to see, as we've said, is that their actions are going to be dictated by what they believe. And that's going to have a consequence. And you see this everywhere in God's word, where it says, in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Stop right there. You get the point that God didn't say, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, disobey the king, you'll be thrown into a furnace and I will deliver you. They say, hey, listen, he can deliver us, and even if he doesn't deliver us, he's still God. So how do they know what to do in the situation when they haven't been told directly what to do? Faith, relationship. They have a relationship with this God. So many places in the Bible where somebody's not necessarily given a direct, go here, go there, do this, do that. But the decision that they make. So I ask you today, what if the situation that you're in, the challenge in front of you, what if it's so that you display your obedience to what God has already told you? And if you don't know what God has already told you, then start spending time with Him. Start spending time with Him. Doesn't you know? Again, we can go in crisis. We can. Find the verses on fear and anxiety and God, what are you saying about fear? What are you saying about anxiety? We can do that. And it's a good thing to do that. It's not a bad thing to do that. It's never a bad thing to do that. But it's a better thing to be in a relationship with them and then as you're going through the struggle to reference those places. You see the difference. In one place we're really, really looking for the relationship. Can I tell you my biggest barrier in hearing what God is saying to me? You want to know my biggest barrier? You hear what God is saying to me? 
My agenda, my attitude, sometimes my actions that I am not willing to modify because there are times that I don't believe that his will is better than my will. Can I say that? And can you identify with it? I do. But those are the things that hold us back. Our agenda, our attitudes, our actions, because we say we're seeking relationship, but so many of us are just seeking relief. You're going to see as we study Pharaoh. Oh, each time Moses intercede to God for us. Oh, I have sinned, Moses, but it's only in word. It's only in word is he confessing. In the book of John, it says that so many of the religious leaders, they believed that he was God, but they were afraid of getting thrown out of the temple, so they didn't confess him. Tells the world what you believe about your God. And this is why it's so important that when the disciples... They listen to what Jesus says. They don't question it. They go. They loosen it. And everything plays out exactly as he said. Listen to this. You want to know what Jesus said about his church? Ready for it? He said he's going to build it. And the gates of hell will not prevail. So what do we do in the meantime? Well, we tell people about Jesus. Do the things that you know to do. You're in a season where you don't know what to do? Believe me when I tell you. If you don't know what to do right now, there's enough that you can do that you know to do. But why is he going to give you more to do when you're not being told what you've already been told what to do? Does this make sense? And let me simplify that and rephrase it. So it's like if you're saying, oh God, I want this revelation for my life. I want to see where you're going. I want to see where you're taking me. And God's saying, I have instructions right in front of you. And you're not even listening to those simple ones. Oh, but God, I want to walk on the water. But why aren't you loving your enemy? God, I want to perform a miracle. Well, why are you so miserable? There are things right in front of us that we can be doing right here and right now. Stepping out in faith and obedience and watching him do something so amazing. I was talking to some of the guys this morning about you know, why we don't act out on God's will. We say we believe his will is better than ours. But when we're getting pressed, we kind of default back into our way of doing things. It forces the question, do we really, really, really believe that his will is better than our own will? And if it's not, here's why I'm usually not acting on his will. Because it's here. Listen, whatever it is, and I just heard this said recently and I love it. Whatever it is that you fear owns you. So if you fear the Lord, you're in great shape. Walking in fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the beginning of knowledge. But you see a God story happening here with these two men that are being told, go into here, do this. And maybe there's a little bit of fear, a little bit of trepidation, but they're going anyway. And they unloosen it. They're told, what are you doing there? God told us, the Lord told us that he needs this. Oh, okay, good. Take it. Now they're going back to Jesus. Wow, this really works. This works. Love it. Listen, when you step outside of your comfort zone to tell someone about Jesus, because you're told to tell people about Jesus. That's something we're told to do. We're told to make disciples. When you start doing the thing that you're told to do, listen, I'm going to commit to making disciples. I'm going to commit to praying to some, uh, praying for someone. I'm going to permit, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go out of my comfort zone. I'm going to do the things that he told me to do. 
That's when you're going to experience him. Your faith is going to grow. You're going to be like these two disciples that were coming back going, as they're walking on the road back to Jesus. Can you imagine the conversations? Dude, that was dope. That was just, that was, okay, I'll go there. It was lit. You know, it's like, okay, it's crazy, but Jesus just did. So the disciples had this experience because they were told directly what Jesus, Jesus told them what to do. They obeyed, they experienced God. So there's the belief, the action, the consequence. All right, the belief was, hey, I believe, uh, I believe he is who he says he is, so I'm going to do what he tells me to do, and I experience I grow in my faith. Now, that's the two disciples. Now, if you look after verse 6, starting at verse 7, for the rest of our passage, it says, Then they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour is already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, here's what's happening here. So they bring the cult to Jesus. All right, they threw their clothes on it. And what this communicated was that they believed that he was a king um, because they didn't want him to sit on the donkey bareback. And then they put the clothes on the ground because that's what they did for a king. Then they waved the palm branches, which they would do for somebody that has won a victory. And so this is what they're doing. And so they're doing the right things. They're celebrating Jesus. That's the right thing to do. Now they're even shouting and quoting scripture. Hosanna. Okay, this is from Psalm 118. And this, this would have been very, very important during this day. Because this term, Hosanna, means save us, please. It looks like they're getting it right. Alright, they're saying the right things. They're shouting. They're probably very passionate. Hosanna! They're probably very passionate about this. Alright? They're acknowledging as the king by what they're doing with their clothes and by the waving of the palm branches and by what they're saying. But they don't know him. Welcome to church in 2019. We'll raise our hands and we'll sing about God's grace and we'll sing about his sufficiency and we'll sing, raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. But here's the thing. What they don't have is a full understanding of who he is. They have reduced him to wanting him to do what Moses did. That's their understanding. Oh, if he would just deliver us from Rome, I've heard he could do this, I've heard he could do that. And if this is our deliverer, then we're going to be able we're going to be delivered from the tyranny of Rome. And what they wanted was so much less than why he was there. And I would say the same thing to the church. We want so much less than who he is. He's all sufficient. There's no part of your life that he doesn't want to sweep into and change relationally uh, in, in, in every way. He is all sufficient. He loved you enough to die on a cross for you, but they're singing Hosanna, Hosanna. One week later, they're going to be shouting, crucify him. Why? Because they didn't understand. Because either their experience and their crisis dictated who they wanted him to be, they weren't taught, 
All of these reasons combined pointed to the fact that he didn't do what, he, what they anticipated that he should do, so he was a letdown, crucify him. Crucify him? Seriously. Because they didn't understand this. Because they were taught an incomplete gospel. They were taught about a delivering Savior, but nobody told them about the suffering Savior. It's an incomplete gospel. That's why we want to teach the whole counsel of God's Word. This is so important. From Genesis to Revelation, if it's in this book, it's important for a reason. How many of you have ever been disappointed because you were not told the entire truth about something? For me, still flashbacks to God Adore, God of Jim. Randy Couture has this piece of work <laughs> and he is cut like a beast in these commercials. Alright, he's shredded. And I'm doing this for two weeks. And, and I'm like, ah, oh, I've got the, you know, the Rocky music on. That's my normal. Alright, so I'm working out for this. And, and here's the thing, after two weeks, I didn't see any difference. None. And the reason was, is because I was taught in incomplete gospel. sold an incomplete product. And here's what I mean. I didn't know you had to diet, too. <laughs> I thought that I could continue eating like a savage, work out with this piece of equipment, and then become big and cut and tough, and that was just not the case. So I first I get a little But here's the thing. How often do we sing in church, Christ is enough? All to Jesus I surrender. I'm going to raise a hallelujah. <coughs> and we mean it. And in here it's easy to do it. This morning wasn't so easy. There are crises to come when it's not so easy to do it. Let me tell you again that that's especially the moment that we need to press into it. That's especially the moment that we need to, it's like when we're struggling and we don't feel like doing it, but here's the thing that we have to do, and this is what we're going to close with today. I know you're thinking, it's computer, well, you can't know it's not. <laughs> One is this, is that if you're going to listen to it, you have to know what he says. You have to know what he says. We have to know what he says, because what he says in his word tells us who he is and what he desires of us. If I don't open up this book, I can't know. I heard it said recently, and I really agree with this. How many of you have ever heard, God helps them who help themselves? And everybody's like, okay, where's he going with this? Because in Christianity, we teach God helps them who can't help themselves, right? God helps those who couldn't help themselves. In other words, I couldn't save myself. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get to heaven without the cross of Jesus Christ. So God helps those who couldn't help themselves. But once he becomes your Lord and Savior, there's a degree of responsibility that we have as Christians, and now it kind of flips a little bit, and let's put it like this, I heard this said recently, that God will not do for you what you can do for yourself. Does that make sense? God won't do for you what you can do for yourself. In other words, it's like if I, if I need a job, then i got to put out resumes. I'm not just going to sit there and say, okay, Lord Jesus, bless me. Bless me, I'm just going to wait for the job. And I'm just going to sit there, and I'm just going to say, what are you doing? Well, the Bible says those who wait upon the Lord. Right, so what am I doing? I'm watching ESPN, and I'm waiting on the Lord. No, it doesn't work like that. It's never worked like that. 
Read to know what he says. When you open up the word, you know who you are to him. You know who he is. But you will also, at that moment, begin to realize that there's a responsibility that comes in the Christian life of you saying, okay, not only am I going to read it, but I'm going to obey it. And this is another place that we struggle. Okay, because it's one thing to read the word, it's another thing to do what it says. How many of you have said, you know what, I'm going to church, I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to make some changes, I'm going to church, and I'm going to get the word on my own, I'm going to read the word, and God helps me to do something, I'm going to do it, and here's this passage about forgiveness. Okay, Lord, I want to obey what you tell me to do, but the bar's a little high. You know, can you kind of dial back a little bit? Can we start in an easier place? Can we put back a few pages? And maybe there's something simpler for me to do because I mean, you really don't know what that person said to me. You don't know what they did to me, and the insult was so grievous, God, that I know you understand that I can't do this right now. Listen, if the disciples, Jesus would have told them, "Listen, go to this town." and untie the donkey. And when they come to you and they question you, say this, if they would have only partially obeyed, at any point, this would not have happened. Partial obedience isn't really obedience at all. It doesn't work. And so we want to resolve ourselves to obeying what he tells us to do. Because he's the one that loved us enough to die for. So we come to the word and we say, okay, God, I'm going to celebrate you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to obey you, God. Whatever you tell me, whatever it is you tell me to do, well, that one looks tough. All right, I can't do that. God says, I know you can't. That's why I gave you my Holy Spirit. And I gave you my promises. And I surrounded you with God's people. You know how important this is right here? The community that God is going to develop here is so incredibly important because once in a while you'll get a text or somebody's going to say, I'm praying for you. Whereas you're utilizing your gifts within the body, what happens is that the body grows together. You grow as an individual and you grow together. And when you're discouraged, hopefully one calls another and says, okay, I'm praying for you, I'm looking out for you, I got your back. If you're not strong enough to pray right now, then I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to pray with you. Because everybody here can do something. Listen, if you want to experience him like the disciples did, you have to believe he is who he says he is, and you have to act on it. There's always something we can be doing. So, so you know, if, 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 again, the future isn't clear, there's so much in here that can keep us busy right here and right now. There's so much that can keep us busy. So if we want to be in the know, we have to listen to what Jesus was saying. We have to be willing to obey it. And we have to trust him. We have to trust him with the outcome. If you do the thing that he called you to do, if you can 100% say, you know what, Pastor, it's like I loved as well as I could in this situation. I was shining for him because that is really what you're called to do in each situation. You're called to shine the light of Christ. No matter who's pressing in on you, no matter how they're pressing in, you're not called to allow anybody to become your God by curtailing your behavior because of what they did or what they said. 
you're called to shine for Jesus Christ. And when you shine for him, you trust him with the outcome. Well, I'm going to shine for Jesus, but I didn't get the promotion because I wasn't willing to step over this person, this person, and that person. Or these people said this about me, and I was afraid that, that they were going to take advantage of me. No, you're called to be Jesus. How easy is this to forget? Do you want to know something cool that the Lord did? He said, I'm going to implement something, and it's this table. This do in remembrance of me. Because he knows how forgetful we are. If you're anything like your pastor, you can walk from one room to the other, and when you get there, you can say, I have absolutely no idea why I'm in here. I have no idea why I walked into this room. But out there, it's so easy to let our circumstances and our situations dictate our course of action rather than listening to what he's telling us to do. To be still, know that I'm God. Just be still, know that I'm God, because that's the easiest place, that's the best place for us to be able to hear what he has to say in any given situation. When I don't know what to pray for someone, then I'm going to be still. And as I'm still, the Holy Spirit is going to grow inside of me, the Bible says, with words that are too deep for utterance. That's the beauty of this thing called Christian life, is that we believe and we have an experience where it's like we hear what he says, we believe it, we act on it, and we experience it. 